Thanks for joining us on This Week in Jacksonville Business Edition. Our guest today, holy cow, Jamie Diamond, the chairman and CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase since 2005 in Jacksonville because of a pretty cool announcement. Tell us about, I guess, the investment here in Northeast Florida and why this is an important place to, to put that investment. Well, first, we love being here, so welcome and happy to be here. Many, 10 years ago, I came to open the first branch here. Really? We've since then opened 20. <laughs> We're announcing yeah. 10 more, and those are branches. But you know, for the public, we also, every time we do stuff, we bring in mortgages, private banking, commercial banking, middle market, not in the branches, but you know, on other uh, parts here. And then we, we bought Wamu years ago, we also had a big mortgage operation. So we have almost 2,000 people here now, and we just named it, it's only gonna be like a corporate center, which means we'll be adding more corporate services here over time. When we think about um, our region, usually we're asking, hey, so what, what is the economic outlook uh, for Northeast Florida? So I've been in Jacksonville, like I said, since 2010, 13 years. There's a lot of talk of, oh, there's going to be growth, and then it's always slower than some people want and always too much. Where do you see this region and maybe this part of the country as we go into some maybe tumultuous yeah, know, times I'm, here? First of all, I'm from New York and a bunch, <laughs> I just spoke to a bunch of our folks here and the wise ones are <laughs> New York to California, I mean to Florida where yeah. it's uh, the, a sunshine, warmer. the sunshine state. People love it when they move. And yeah. I spoke to a lot of people, they've left New Jersey and Chicago and New York and they've come here. Uh, and of course, you know, we want happy employees. So, but I don't know, from my vantage point, we see a lot of people moving to Florida. That's Miami, it's, it's Tampa, it's Jacksonville, it's, uh, it's Naples, et cetera, it's, and, it's, and it's business too. So you saw some big financial companies talk about adding more people in Miami. And so uh, I think you're going to cons continue to see it happen. Never happens at exactly the pace you expect, but you're growing and there are places around the United States who are shrinking, like New York, California, Chicago, et cetera. One of the things that's growing that I heard you talk about recently was uh, national debt. This, this seems like one of those things that uh, could sink the economy, sink the nation. Uh, what are the concerns that you have there and maybe what are some of the answers? Yeah, so I don't, so it's 100% debt to GDP today. So when I started working and Paul Volcker was running the central bank, it was 35%. And the deficit today in good times is 6%. And when I started working, it was four in a recession. So th those are big numbers. And I don't think it's a, an immediate crisis but if you look forward, you can see it becomes a hockey stick down the road, where in, you know, in 2035, it'll be 120%. And then it starts to grow dramatically because of retirement, medical costs, et cetera. And obviously, the sooner you deal with it, the better. I don't know when it might cause the problem, but we know it's there, and we should deal with it. And you know, years ago, we had this thing called Simpson Balls, where some are a form of Social Security, some are a form of this, some are a form of taxes. And if you do it right, you'll accelerate growth. And so I think there are fixes, but it's going to take, you know, bipartisan effort in Congress to actually do it. Uh, when we look at how the economy goes, usually in a presidential election year, there's a little bit of a bump. Do you see some of that this year, or does it not matter because long term it's, it's a different picture? I think you've seen a lot of stimulus in the last couple of years, and it's still in the system. So you've kind of have that bump. You know, economists think it's going to slow down a little bit. I don't know. I, I, I'm always a little cautious about guessing what the economy's going to do because we don't know. As a business person, I build my company to serve a better job. You and Jacksonville and your government and your Scott hospitals and your schools. And, uh, uh, but, but, I think, but I'll make a broader point. Good public policy matters. And it can really accelerate growth here if we did something in immigration, proper taxation, better health care, uh, corporate governance, uh, uh, all these things. If we got them right, we'd be growing. Regulation, 
I'm going to talk about good regulation versus more or less. And so, you know, a lot of the folks out there in business know that when they have to deal with federal, local, state regulations, documents, forms, and you may be a, a store selling pottery. You know, the tax system is hard to navigate. If we fix these things, America would grow faster and we'd be happier because we wouldn't have this bureaucracy, which is becoming crushing at one point. I speak to a lot of businesses and it really holds them back from adding people, growing, expanding. There are studies that come out that are saying that some of them that cost the system a trillion dollars a year. We, we should learn to talk about things about making them better than they were last year, not just more. You know, regulators, we tend to just add another layers, like barnacles in the boat, and eventually the boat is really slow. Yeah. I heard you speaking to some of the employees here at the branch here in downtown Jacksonville, and one of them was asking about uh, wealth management, uh, and part of this announcement that you made this week uh, in Ponte Vedra, a private banking uh, establishment there. When it comes to wealth management, and I appreciate what you said a moment ago about, hey, I'm trying not to guess. I mean, certainly you want to make informed uh, advice to clients and customers or what have you. Um, but this gentleman on your staff asked about artificial intelligence. Yeah. Boy, it seems like that is really going to change things in banking uh, large and in that, that personal private banking. Yeah, something just about uh, wealth management and financial. Everyone should learn to save money how it works, and one of the reasons we have branches like this is to bring in the community who may not be comfortable in their branch, but to learn about a mortgage. So a lot of folks, the way they start their wealth is by buying a house. And so we want to make mortgages more affordable to low-income folks, which is doable with better public policy. It's not doable without better public policy. So, so we really don't think of wealth as you know, just for the wealthy. It's for everybody to start saving. And there are you know, a lot of studies that show that once you start saving, you continue to save. And once you start good habits, they continue to continue. And saving for your kid's college education or the, or the, the uh, vacation you want or education, et cetera. So that matters. AI, yes, AI, I mean, I sh don't panic over it. It will change everything. But so did the Caterpillar tractor change farming. So did cars change horses. So did, uh, and a lot of this leads to more productivity in life, higher GDP. And what we should learn to do as a society a little bit better too is those who are disrupted by something like this to retrain them quicker. And so you will see it, but right now we use it for a lot of different things. It's just not reducing headcount, it's just making them far more productive. And so, you know, it is important. And remember with AI, bad guys are gonna use it too. So we, we need to do a lot of stuff in AI com to combat the bad guys who use it to try to steal people's money or, or from the bank, et cetera. So I was asking about debt a moment ago and you talked about policy. Boy, it, it seems like there's this big disconnect between what the federal government can do when it comes to budgeting and what my state is mandated to do in terms of putting together a balanced budget. Are there some reforms there that you think would make a difference for us nationally? Yes, but again, you know, the Congress sets its own rules. So you know, we have an annual budgeting process. I believe we haven't had a real budget for right. 12 years. But what the American public may not know is because there's no budget, it costs the government probably 500 to 100 billion dollars more a year because they have stop-start stop contracts. The military can't put in multi-year contracts. So it stops them, you know, you, we have to get artillery shells to Ukraine, very hard to do. And it creates huge inefficiencies. Yes, one day they should reform it. And I think every government department should say to you, you gave me 100 billion dollars, I said I was going to do X, and here's what I did. And also measure it in a way which the outcome, very often they talk about we spent $50 billion. Like schools should, I think all schools should say, how many of my kids got out with a good livelihood? So a school is to learn about life, it's also to walk out with a livelihood. You can graduate at 17, one of the ladies out here came out of high school, 
and she's you know already making 20 or 25 dollars an hour here with medical with retirement with dental with maternity leave paternity leave etc and so it's a job training leads to jobs and we just have to get better at that and i would like to see more out, outcome based uh, things and so that could be for any department what, what are we doing why are we doing it Another thing which companies do, but the government doesn't necessarily, is constantly view its own processes to make them better. Don't just assume they're good. And, you know, because sometimes they erode over time and, God, everyone deals with bureaucracy. You all know what it is when you see it. It's, it's, it's really bad for growth. Here we are, 2024. 2020, obviously, pandemic changed a lot of things. One of those things was uh, work from home. And you've been outspoken about, hey, for the sake of culture, no, employees, we will want you back. Tell me more about that. Does it, does it work for smaller companies, or do you think everybody should be back in the, the building, so, so to speak? I, I look at it a little differently. It, it may work for certain jobs. So we've always had part of our 10% of our jobs, it's always been work from home 100%. Certain sales jobs, certain things. And other jobs, like there's certain legal jobs, like patent lawyers, where it works because you're basically, it's a lot of solitude. Studying law, studying going to libraries, you know, looking at patents around the world. But for a lawyer who's serving our investment bank, they should be with the bankers. So it's not just the job title, it's a specific job. But there, there are a lot of weaknesses from it. It hurts younger people. There's, no, there's almost no question. Now you're starting to see studies show it. We knew it from the start. They have less relationships. They, you know, they, they don't get to see you in action. You don't tell them they did a great job. But you know, uh, it hurts creativity. It hurts speed of decision making. It hurts management decisions. It slows down everything. Because people, instead of, like when we have a management meeting around a table like this, all day long we're going back to each other, hey, you said that, I checked, it's why. Or why don't I make that call with you? Let's plan a trip there. Or Meanwhile, when you're doing it by Hollywood Squares, it's like we'll pick it up again tomorrow, we'll pick it up again next week. And so we know there are weaknesses. So it doesn't mean it can't be done, but people should acknowledge the weaknesses. And, um, and there's the social attributes. You know, it, people have to get married. You know, people have to meet friends. We think it helps diversity that you know, when you come to the workplace, you probably have a more diverse environment than where you, often than where you live. And your so, apartment or home, yes. I, exactly. So I just, people just be clear about the negatives. I mean, it's, like, it's like now we're learning about the negatives of kids not having gone to school. Yeah. Now, a lot of us kind of knew that, and a lot of moms and dads set up home pods, school pods and stuff like that. But those things, people should be clear about and be thoughtful about the full breadth of things it means, not just, I like working from home. You know, I like a lot of things, and I don't get to do all of them either. So. Am I right? Is culture a uh, very high value for you with very, the company? Very. And, the, and, and you, you mentioned that it's very hard to instill. You know, we hired 40,000 people during COVID. That never met in person a J.B. Morgan Chase person. So when, you, when we talk about how we treat a customer, part of that culture you don't learn because it's treat a customer well. You learn because when the customer walks in, is quite distraught. You can see how the excellent branch manager said, we're sorry, and let me sit down, and I can fix that for you. That you know, we want our people to admit mistakes when we make them. You know, and you learn that by seeing it. You were probably a young reporter one day, and some some probably took you around, and right. every now and then chewed you out, and said, and that's how you learn. And so I, I, it reduces learning, and it reduces the ability to install culture. So on the idea of culture, and we're talking policy just a little bit, in the state of Florida specifically, it's happened some other places, but there's been a push to legislate against diversity, equity, inclusion, and you just brought up diversity by just being in the workplace. Uh, what do you think about that topic? And, and from a leadership standpoint, uh, isn't there some kind of conscientious leadership that demands diversity, equity, inclusion? Yeah, I, I think people are getting confused and all that stuff. Like the Supreme Court 
basically change the law. And we all, you know, when the Supreme Court votes, that's the end of it to me. We're going to follow the law. And it's, I'm going to summarize, they're against, against quotas. And we, were, we never had quotas. I, you know, viscerally, I didn't like them either. But it doesn't mean you can't reach out to the community. So we reach out to all communities, black communities, LGBT communities. You know, and then you learn in doing that, you learn a lot of things about how to serve the community better. We're a business. You know, if you're a, a restaurant, you're reaching out to the people too, and you want people coming to your restaurant. And if you get more traffic on the restaurant by reaching out to different communities, you probably would. So people should take a deep breath in this one. Most people want to treat all communities well. They don't want to treat anyone rudely. I don't want anyone working here to not feel comfortable here. And all people are different, including white men. There are shy white men. There are aggressive white men. There are, you know, there, there, there are people who are on the spectrum somewhere, but they want to have a happy, productive job. And we try to reach out to them too. So uh, it makes sense. It makes community better. A lot of people would say that China is the, the big threat in a lot of different ways. Certainly in business, there's a lot of ties between what happens American business and Chinese business. Is that a concern for you? Or is there a way that you see forward where we're still intertwined, but providing security for yeah, our, so our a, nation? A big question. So geopolitics, because of Ukraine, the terrorist activity in Israel, what's going on there is a critical thing and it's affecting all global relationships, military alliances, and economic, including America-China. And America-China's relationship is the most important relationship in the next 100 years. And I like the engagement. Obviously, every country is going to say national security. So we support the fact, and we're, I'm an American patriot. I'm, and I, and I don't set foreign policy. So I very often say, are you doing this? That's foreign policy. That's the government does that. But anything around protecting national security, well, of course we should do. And that affects certain economic investments, trade relationships. You know, anything which is unfair competition, well, of course we should combat that. We do that anyway. That's, you know, you want to do that. And then other than that, you can have trade. Certain things, you know, honestly, when you make it or something doesn't make any difference. Other things, you know, if it hurts the American military ability to conduct combat operations around the world, you're damn straight we should do it differently. So it, it could be worked out. It's going to be very complicated. It can only be worked out in engagement. The other thing I want to mention to the American public is our GDP per person is $65,000. Theirs is fifteen. We have peace in North America and South America and all the food, water, and energy we need. They import 10 million barrels a day, and they live in a very complex neighborhood. And, and they have serious problems you're reading about every day today. And so they're not the 10-foot giant. This is the most productive economy that the world's ever seen, and it's still true today. The most innovative, that's still true today. And of course, we can fix some of the stuff that we do wrong. And so I, I, people shouldn't act like this is you know, the, the worst thing of all things. America is going to be fine, though we need to do certain things right for our population here. Uh, for civic society here and for the Western world in terms of defending democracy. And I would look at Ukraine as the front line of democracy right now. Jamie Dimon, CEO, JP Morgan Chase, thank you so much. And thanks for watching This Week in Jacksonville, Business Edition.